Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, welcome back to Oikos Ministries uh, Facebook Live broadcast. Uh, we're glad you're tuning in. It's, it's such a blessing. We're having so many of these days that are um, that are joining in, and uh, we're getting lots of feedback. And the 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 reels we do and all that have, have really gained traction. It's uh, it's really a blessing to get the message out there, and and some of the feedback, especially on this series that we've been doing from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, called Strongholds. And so we've been walking through this and breaking strongholds and showing you the, the idea of strongholds and strong men. And last week we said that we were going to start a new series tonight called uh, uh, Discernment. However, during the week some things transpired and we said, let's visit this stronghold thing just one more time and uh, go from there. So with uh, that said, that's what we're going to do tonight. Now, if you've missed any of this and would like to catch up with it, you can join us on Oikos at our website, uh, US, uh, excuse me, www.housechurchesusa.com. You can join there and you can catch up all this series and many other things and lots of teaching aids and helpful things for your Christian walk and to see you victorious in Jesus. So uh, we pray that you'll use those resources to really walk strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So without any further ado, let's get to it. I will reread our text tonight, and I want to visit one part of that, that they were in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. We won't stay there long. I just want to reread the, the passage that we've been working with. I got a new Bible, so I'm, I'm slower than I usually am. I hadn't taught this one how to jump ahead of me yet, but uh, here we go. Oh, two pages stuck together. See, that's just that's the bad trouble with the new Bible. My old Bible is falling apart. This one is stuck together. So here we go. So the, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. <clears throat> for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so as we deal with the idea of stronghold, a stronghold is a fortified place in our physical being, either in our physical body or in our soul, the mind, will, or the emotion. Uh, we, we don't believe that you could have a demon in the spirit. Uh, basically, if your spirit or your heart gets demonized, you would be like Judas. You have literally fallen all the way from grace. You're literally going to hell. And so, <clears throat> so when we see a stronghold develop, these are fortified places in our physical body or our soul where a strong man could root in and really oppress, occupy, possess, really, really torment and throw off an individual's walk with the Lord. So we want to do our best to have victory over these strongholds. Now, these strong men that try to occupy these strongholds, we went through all that with uh, the, the demons that are listed scripturally, four categories of demons uh, when we dealt with the idea of uh, mental, moral, um, religious, and um, physical. So the four arenas of demons, especially the religious demonic uh, that has more religious demons than any other type, that they are really on the attack and will attack a, a Christian. So we've gone through all those studies. If you'd like to catch back, like I said, go back over that in the, in the uh, website. But here you see in chapter 10, Look at this carefully, that the weapons employed are mighty through God to pull down the strongholds. Now, we've got a lot with strongholds, strong men, these offsetting things that disrupt the Christian walk. And really, uh, it's our warfare. But look carefully. I want to show you the victory side of this after you because we're getting many reports of people getting victory right now. 
and overcoming the devil. They are recognizing the demons that have tormented and, and thrown them off. And now they're starting to get victory. I want to show you how to keep that victory tonight. So watch. <clears throat> Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so <clears throat> most modern translations call this arguments. And I guess that's okay. But the King James Version uses the word imaginations. And I want to look at that and, and, and just kind of work this for a moment. Uh, the, the word there in the Greek language has everything to do with logic and reasons and arguments. It could be that. I mean, it doesn't say that in the defining of the word, but uh, um, some of the more modern translators have used arguments. If you go to the Old Testament, where the word imagination is used quite frequently, in particular, it starts in the first word use of it is in Genesis 6. That, that before Noah's flood, it says that God saw the imaginations of man's heart was only evil continually. Now, this is one of the, the things that in, invoked the wrath of God to say, I will judge them because their hearts were only evil continually. Now, in the word imagination, when you look at it from that standpoint, especially the old covenant, every usage of this word, I literally every use of this word imagination throughout the Bible is in a bad connotation. I mean, it's, it's not except for one. And we're going to get to that one later. And we're going to, we're going to really work with that one in just a few minutes. But for now, let's just look at it in, in the idea of imaginations. And it literally means the conception, a conception in the mind that literally it, it's an origin of thought, an origin of creativity. You know, we're created in the image of God. And so as uh, the, the, as beings that are created, we're the only thing created that God said, let us make man in our image. So everything else is a lesser creation. We're created in the image of God, not animals, not beasts. There are other things that are living souls, all the beasts of the field. They are living souls, but they are not in the image of God. We are the pinnacle of God's creation, and that gets marred when we sin. And so when we're restored back through the blood of Jesus Christ and recreated in Christ Jesus, new heart, new spirit, a brand new beginning, clean slate with the new birth and the Holy Spirit residing in us, we become the temple of the living God. And God lives in a, it's truly an Emmanuel God with us right now that the, the kingdom is within you. God's the king sits on the throne of your heart, Jesus, and the, in, in the presence of the Holy Spirit fills us and we're filled with the glory of God and restores the image of God and that we reflect the image and glory of God as Christians right here in the earth right now. And so that's the functioning. And when we look at the idea of the imagination that it was only evil continue, that man's reasoning faculties were only being employed for wickedness. And that's a terrible thing. Now, I want you to think about this. If you consider creativity, when the mind is creative, all right, uh, usually, uh, boy, the younger, I know in my case, I was very uh, artistic. I could draw really well as a young person. And I, I kind of lost that. It seems like creativity in that arena was just bottled up or shut down, stifled. And I want you to think about some of your personal experiences from when you were a child, consider how you were before you got all messed up and became uh, sin just messed you up. Think about it. Now, when you go back and start thinking about that, we're created in the image of God, that sin mars that and that we begin to fall and that literally we, we become tainted or perverted and not, not just necessarily in a sexual sense, but perverted in an identity sense that we forget who and what we're all about. And we move further and further away from what God really had put in us from the very beginning. And so we deal with the idea of imagination, the creativity, the conception in the mind that allows us creative thought. Now, this, I believe, comes right out of the creator. But when you consider especially the arts, I believe that the, 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 everything from hell fights the creative part of man. I really believe this with all my heart. And when you think about the arts and entertainment, this is so perverted. How many entertainers can you think of right off the top of your head that literally started in the gospel arena? You can think of singer after singer after singer, musicians. I, I mean, it's amazing. 
And when you think of that being perverted, writers, uh, producers, these guys start with a godly thought and then it's t- twisted and perverted in an evil way. And what I believe to employ the weapons of our warfare to restore this back in the recreation to get man's imagination back on a good track. Again, give me a moment. And we're going to get back to that. First off, I want to look at Luke chapter 11. In Luke 11, uh, we've, we visited this before in one of our other parts of this series. In Luke 11, starting in verse 17, he says, but knowing their thoughts, he had cast out a demon and he was arguing with now with the Pharisees. And he said, knowing their thoughts, as he said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against the house falls. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man armed, this is the verses I want you to see. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he trusted and he devises spoils. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house where I came out. And when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. Then he goes and takes to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, uh, look, I, I get most of the feedback on, on all these messages have been overwhelmingly positive. I'm telling you, people are just blessed by what's being said. But I do get some feedback where people say that this cannot happen. Okay, why would Jesus bother to tell us that we couldn't have a demon come back in if it couldn't happen? There's so many verses like this that it, it's just, it's, it's silly. It's folly. It's utter folly to try to undo the teachings of Jesus and say it cannot happen. And, you know, one guy was accusing me of being a works preacher because I teach that. I mean, come on. So I, I, I'm not, you can, it's just dumb. I'm, I'm not even going to deal with it. But what you got to see is this. If when a strong man armed, keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. Now let's look at it from the perspective that you're a Christian now. You've gotten saved. You've truly gotten born again. And now the strong man is Jesus. And you're filled with the Spirit of God. Look, look what he says. He says, when a strong man armed. I mean, we have the panoplia. Have you not read about the whole armor of God? That's what he called the whole armor. I mean, the Greek language, panoplia. We have all the tools and arsenal from, from divine arsenal to protect us from the wicked one. And even to wage war against him. This is awesome. We have been battle readied. Why would he battle ready us if there's no war? Why, if we're in a war, it, why is it we think it's a joke if it's not something that we could lose in? We're, this is a volatile situation. I'm telling you, you could be beaten in this warfare. It's vital. And it says that the over, I write to you, young men, remember that because you have overcome that with the word of God abides you and you've overcome the wicked one. You see, so few literally abide in God's word. So few ever come to this plate in their discipleship. They literally do not abide in God's word and they absolutely get overcome by the wicked one. Look what he says. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, we're the palace. This my physical being is that palace. I am the New Testament temple of God. You are too if you're if you're saved. Now, he, he, the, so Jesus moved into my heart. The Holy Spirit came into me wonderfully. He gave me all this weaponry. He gives me his good word. And he says, now I'm armed and I keep my palace and my goods are in peace. Ain't that wonderful? But just like the devil, when a stronger than he shall come upon him. Uh, it, it, the idea that when we're sitting in peace, and some 
devil wants to try to disrupt it. Okay, this just it's just so angering to me that someone just can't leave it alone. Oh, let's go disrupt peace. We can't stand peace. Well, peace is not. So, you know, it's the devil when your peace is trying to be attacked. So when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him. Now, is this possible or not? Why would Jesus have this discussion with us? A stronger than him. You say, well, nothing's stronger than Jesus. Nothing's stronger than the Holy Spirit. I agree 100%. But I can tell you one thing. You begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. You begin to quench the Spirit. You literally disobey God's word or ignore God's word. Watch what will happen. You you can claim once saved, always saved to your blue in the face. And that will not, you will not steal heaven just because you're stealing uh, uh, thought or your a seat in church, you're not going to steal heaven with that stupidity. It's not going to happen. You can play all the games you want to play. You kill back into sin and you're going to go to hell. Simple as that. The wages of sin is death. I don't care where you are. The wages of sin is death. If you're a practicing sinner, you will go to hell. Simple as that. Now, when a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. When a stronger than he comes upon him, <clears throat> he takes away from him all his armor wherein he trusted. Look what happened. The, the idea of warfare, the, the demonic warfare knows that he can't beat Jesus, knows that he can't beat the Holy Spirit. So what will he do? He will begin to defeat you, the human being. He will begin to use you and take away the armor. When you say, okay, I don't feel like witnesses. Okay, I don't feel like praying. Oh, I'm not going to study my Bible anymore. Uh, you know, I don't read my Bible like I should. That's the standard Christian statement. You know, I don't read my Bible like I should. I don't go to church often like I should. You know, it's just, okay, we make these concessions like we're all supposed to understand that you're literally lukewarm and going to hell. And so when you, when you look at that, you're giving ground to the devil. My Bible says, do not give place to the devil. When you begin to give place to the devil, he begins to chip away at your armor. When he takes away your armor, you better understand something. From the very beginning, Lucifer, how art thou fallen from heaven, Lucifer, thou son of the morning? You were the anointed cherub. You know what a cherub or cherub is? He literally, you know, the perverted artist draw these little naked little girls, you little naked babies with little bitty tiny bows that are shooting at you with little bitty wings. It, it's literally a blasphemous mockery at what a true cherub is. When you think it literally means one who holds. And literally the anointed cherub, Satan knows this well. That's why he literally mocks it and tries to make you think that they're just little bitty Valentine little angels. Shooting little bitty bow and arrows to make you love other people. It's, 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 it's so demonic. A cherub, just one of them will disrupt the earth at the commandment of God. Just one. He put four of them at Eden and no one's found it since. <laughs> Go try. Protecting the way to the tree of life. When you understand that the anointed cherub, that Satan is a master at war. Better know it. And he will literally begin to strike at your weakest points and literally begin to take away your armor. And after a while, you're vulnerable. And if you don't believe this state can, can exist, then you're defeated already. You better engage or you're going to lose. So he takes away the armor wherein he trusted and then he spoils uh, and then he divides the spoils. Basically, he spoils all your goods and divides them. And if you jump ahead, he says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I'll return to my house where I came out. And this is literally to be expected in the Christian walk, that the revisitation of your past, the demonic stuff that drove you before you became Christian will come back to visit. It wants to haunt you, it wants to bring you back. He wants to come back in and find that it's swept and garnished. Hey, great, let's go in. Let's go back in. And he goes and calls his buddies and you're seven times worse off 
than you were before. The last state of your existence is worse than the first. It would have been better had you not known. That's what the Bible goes on to say about this subject. So stay with it. Now, I want to turn to a passage that's going to bring us back. If I feel like I'm, you feel like I'm scattered around, let's go to First Corinthians, uh, excuse me, First Chronicles, chapter twenty-nine, way back in the Old Testament. Now, King David knew that God told him that he could not build the Old Testament temple. He said, "Your hands are too bloody. You're not going to build my temple, but Solomon will." And so, I mean, he had a prototype built. He knew what it was to look like, the whole nine yards. But God said, you'll not do it, but your son will. So David had began preparing out of his own goods. He began to lay up store to build a temple, the old covenant, what would be known as Solomon's temple. And he extended that invite, an invite to all of Israel to bring their goods and offering that they could build the temple with. And this overwhelming generosity came over Israel and they began to have an outpouring of, of, of grace, a grace to give. And they literally were just had so many things coming in to build the temple. It overwhelmed King David. As a matter of fact, in part of his overwhelming, let me, you may, this may sound familiar when he, look, verse nine of, of first Chronicles 29. Well, let's, let's back up verse six. Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and captains of thousands and of hundreds and the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold, 5,000 talents, 10,000 drams of, of silver, 10,000 talents of brass and 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with a perfect heart, they offered willingly to the Lord and the and David, the king also rejoiced with great joy. I could, if David rejoiced with great joy, I mean, get a, get a picture in your mind. He, he could get stupid. He could get Pentecostal real quick. And look what he said. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that's in heaven and all that's in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Where have you heard something very similar to that? In the Lord's prayer, isn't it? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I believe it came from right here. Okay. Now, now I know some of you uh, traditional pastors are salivating, thinking I can't wait to go raise an offering for our building fund. Uh, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. But let's just keep moving on. That ain't about that. Look what he says in verse 18. Now, now King David goes into a massive, powerful prayer and I want you to see, this is the only good usage of the word imagination. He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, verse 18. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of your people and prepare their heart to you. Keep what forever in the hearts of the imagination? Our imagination of the heart, excuse me. Keep the idea of extravagant worship, of, of, of a giving heart in worship. I believe what God wants to do is loose the idea of creativity from the heart. Man, now that you're restored, be creative and find a way to worship me. Give glory. Look, you're the temple of the God. There's no use to go out and build great buildings. Don't let somebody sucker you into giving to their building fund and all that foolishness. Stop it. We're not about bricks and mortar. We should be extravagant worshipers of God. We should have these temples adorned with the greatness and the glory of God that we reflect his glory, that we are literally uh, 24-7 worship machines. And God wants you to be creative in worship. He wants you to begin to think on his excellency and see how you could give him praise, how you could give him glory. And when I think of people uh, like Mary Magdalene or the Mary that 
<coughs> came down and washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with his hair. Creative worship. We can copy all kind of stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. But the heart that wants to worship God will find a way to give him glory. Can you imagine putting the greatest hearts and minds that are filled with the peace and glory of God to begin to use this to think of how could I bring him glory? I believe this is so important that God wants to loose the creativity that keep this forever in the imaginations of the thoughts of your heart. That literally your heart would begin to be creative. What can I do? I believe this is where all the giftedness of the spirit comes into play. I hope you can see what I'm trying to tell you tonight. This is why I revisited this thing. If you're going to keep your deliverance, if you're going to stay in such a look, the whole present traditional religious experience is stamped out cookie cutters. Now, our friend, Miss uh, Sister Lynette Hughes, has a great teaching about Babylon, the mother of harlots. I want you to think about this. Babylon, the mother of all harlots. So not only is Babylon the great whore of Babylon, but she has given birth to other whores. Now, that's a harsh word. And I know that we're supposed to solve and say prostitutes, but it's the mother of harlots. And that they teach the whole world to fornicate, which is literally intimacy without covenant. And, I, and I'm going to tell you right now, most of the religious world is promised intimacy with God without covenant. Think about it. Infant baptism. And you think about sinner's prayer. That's it. Bow your, bow your hair. Say this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come to my heart. Now look, there's been one, one person wanted to fight with me over this in Facebook today. It's like, what, what are you, I mean, come on. That's salvation? That's a foolish, it's as foolish of a thought as I've ever heard in my life. Not one time can you find any apostle saying, now bow your head. God loves you and has a plan for your head, life. Now bow your head, pray this prayer. This is a sermon made in hell. Well, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, be saved. That ain't calling on the name of the Lord, folks. You better find out what that means. It's more than bow your head, say this prayer. That's it. You're saved forever. Nothing could ever take it away from you. That's demonic. I'm telling you, it's a demonic, widespread demonization of the gospel. It's another Jesus and it's another gospel. And in the end, it will not be good news. It will be the worst news you ever heard. Somebody has steered you wrong. Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. If any man enter in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And I want to tell you right now, I said a little earlier, I'm going to say it again, that the thief, when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that ain't the devil. That's the false prophet. Go read it carefully. It's not the devil. It's false prophets. And they're literally trying to teach you how to steal heaven. Look, you might steal your seat in church, but you will not steal a seat in heaven. You'll never fake God out with your lie. Ain't going to happen. Folks, I believe that God wants us to come to a place in the recreation where our creator teaches us to be creative and we literally find ways to extravagantly bless him. That we worship him with our whole heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Powerful worshipers. Do you understand? I believe it's all summed up in the five Christian disciplines. Listen to me carefully. Five of them. Prayer. Number one, prayer. Most people will concede a prayer. Well, I pray every day. I pray, I pray, I pray. You know, me and the man upstairs, we got to understand. We pray all the time. Yeah, people in every religion pray, folks. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Prayer. As a matter of fact, this Luke 18 where we just read, it starts with the idea of prayer. It even goes into the, uh, the, the Lord's prayer. He says, as he was praying in a certain place, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Most people don't even know how to pray. 
I mean, the effectual fervent prayer where you get it done and literally you see your prayers answer. When heaven begins to hear your prayer and answer, God says, before you speak, I'll hear. And while you're yet speaking, I will answer. Huh? Prayer. Number two, Bible study. Well, I don't read my Bible like I should. Another concession that folk make. Number two is Bible study. Studying God's word. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We are so shallow. We are lily pad deep. I'm telling you, the the modern church is Bible ignorant. There is a famine of hearing the word of God. You hear the same exact mantra over and over again. God loves you, has a plan for your life. Bow your head, say this prayer. That's it. You're saved forever. Now give us money and sit there. A tongue failing enterprise. And I'm telling you, it's falling apart right now before our very eyes. And I, I'm thankful. I pray that, that most of that is apostasy, but I believe there's a remnant out there of the lost sheep of the church that's looking for a new way to express their faith. Man, Jesus is in the house. Get back to house church. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship, fellowship. Literally forming powerful relationships with other believers. By this shall all men know you, my disciples, by the Love you have for one another. Literally forming relationship that had got nothing to do with our Sunday service or Wednesday night service. It's literally we become best of friends. We're closest of confidence. We knit our hearts together. We do things. We live together. We play together. We, we, we worship together. We work together. We vacation together. Whatever it is, we do it together. We love each other. Come on. Fellowship. Worship, specifically times of intense, deep worship. When I say worship, what do you say? What's the first, you know, we're going to play the word association game. Worship, music. Everybody says music. Okay. So I like to listen to contemporary gospel music. Well, I think that's an oxymoron. Right now, when I listen to the Christian radio, that's an oxymoron. It's like, dear Lord, did any. So one pastor said when when Satan fell from heaven, he landed in the choir loft. Hmm. Proven pretty true over the years. So when we say worship, look, man, we he fell at his feet worshiping him. And nothing to do with music. And he worshiped him saying, Lord, have mercy on me. He humbled him. Worship is an act of submission, but the deep, intense submission to God where we lay our lives low before him. Worship. And finally, witness. Number five is witnessing. If you're not sharing your faith, you're scattering. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. If you're not trying to actively share your faith, why do you need the Holy Spirit? If you quit sharing your faith, it's the quickest way to make the Spirit depart. You ever get those moments where you go, oh man, I wish I'd have said this to him, or I wish that, and you, you let those kind of incidences stack up, and I promise you, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. That ain't a, just a doggone it. I admit, no, no, no. That's somebody's life is hanging in the balance. Speak. Well, they might get mad. At, I don't care. Speak. Tell somebody what great things the Lord has done for you. Now, those five things, prayer, study, fellowship, worship, and, and, and witnessing. If we will put that Christian act and list the creativity in every one of these. What can I do to bring him glory? Look, I know so many people who are superb writers. Man, some of you need to write stuff down and then read it back. Don't talk off of your, the cuff. Write it down and read it back. Some of you write beautifully. I wish I could write beautifully. I, I just write. The, I'm, I'm like Joe Friday on the old dragnet. Just the facts, man. I just write the facts down. That ain't my gift. I'm just not a great writer. But I tell you, some of you out there, when I when I read what you write, 
it's like, man, I'm looking at you and I can hear you talking when you write. That's a beautiful gift. Use it. Write it down and then read it back. You know, one of the greatest sermons ever preached was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, written by Jonathan Edwards. And he wrote that thing out word for word, verbatim, and read it from the pulpit. I mean, he looked like a piece of granite standing there and read that sermon out. And literally people thought they were falling into hell when they heard him preach it. They broke such brokenness and conviction that wherever this letter was read, the same results took place. Oh, somebody needs to write. My lips are the pen of a ready writer. Come on. King David wrote stuff down in the wilderness out there tending the sheep and the flock. You might have the most boring job. Let me tell you, sitting there watching a bunch of sheep is boring. I got livestock. Trust me, it's boring. All right. Till some activity happened. You're almost thankful a wolf came. Great, great. <laughs> Give me something to do. But it's boring most of the time. And so what did he do with his boredom? He began to worship God. And look what we have. The 150 Psalms in there, but most of them are King David's. And what, what he could think of. He used his mind not as a cookie cutter. He didn't just copy what others said. There was an innovation. There was a conception of birthing in his mind. And he elaborated from, oh boy, when I think of the great writers out there that just, Charles Wesley wrote 7,000 hymns. You know how he did it? Sitting on a horseback. They wrote 180,000 miles preaching the gospel. John Wesley preached over 100,000 sermons. And Charles sitting on horseback writing himself. He said, he wrote, and long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awake and my dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. What? Somebody needs to learn how to talk like that. Come on, somebody. We just cookie cutters. Now we're. What is that? Music where the sea is silent. It just don't make any sense anymore. There's no brilliant thinking anymore. Where's the thought behind it? Where's the imagination, the creativity? Stay with me. When we consider the idea of creativity, when our prayer life and prayer language is, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. When we begin to pray in the spirit and the understanding, when our hearts are so full, my mind cannot even come close to worshiping God as he needs to be or should be. But my heart has to begin to be released and flow in the Holy Ghost with languages that cannot be uttered. Oh, come on. Like God can't understand. Look, when he was, when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, he understood every tear became a prayer. Bitterness became a prayer. Labor became a prayer. Bondage became a prayer. And God saw their suffering and he heard their cry. Crying became a prayer. Oh, if we could learn to pray. Oh, if we could get to our Bible, open the word of God and just begin to let it soak in. If we could chew that could until it literally begins to, the information would turn into uh, inspiration and the inspiration would turn to revelation and we begin to see the glory of God. We begin to have things revealed from the spirit. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is my absolute love. Let me tell you, when I sit down with my Bible, I might be in a bad mood. I might be in a foul. I, I might not feel much going on. When I sit down with my Bible, when my mind totally, and sometimes my mind just can't hardly get there, and all of a sudden I'm in the word. And boy, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is all over that word. And the word is spirit. The sword and the, the spirit and truth come alive inside of me. Give me a Bible. Let me just sit there. And I'll have church. People talk about, well, there's a revival going on. I've, I've been in revival for 41 years. You cannot excite me with the thought that there's something going on over yonder. 
because something's going on in him. 41 years. All I got to do is open this book and start reading. And after a while, the Holy Ghost gets on that. I don't need to be revived because I'm vibed. Well, we need revival. I don't need revival. What I need is more vibing. I got resurrection life been living inside of me for 41 years. Where else am I going to go? He has the words of life. Well, you could run up to Asbury. I ain't going nowhere. Been there, done that, got a t-shirt. Look, they went, oh, he's in Brownsville. Oh, he's in Fort Worth. Oh, he's down in, in, in Tampa. He's up in the Toronto. He's, oh, no, he's right here inside me. Come on, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And literally everything's naked before God's eye. More than the word of God will literally have you naked in five seconds. You can't lie. Them eyes of fire look right into your soul and you just better just shut up. Tell the truth because he's looking right through your lie. Oh, hallelujah. Fellowship, folks, if there's something, the modern church, I say modern, for the last 1700 perverted years under Constantine structure and Augustine theology, those two devils literally corrupted the entire enterprise as we know it and made a false church. I believe it's the great whore of Babylon and all of her daughters, whores too. They all got the same structure. And they either believe in an infant baptism or a sinner's prayer theology. They're all whores. Said it right there, right there in public. And yes, they get money for it. That's that was that's what they would be just fornicators. But boy, they get lots of money for this. Now, when you think that through. Fellowship has literally non-existent. Think about a congregational meeting. You go to that meeting. You don't have to know anybody. You can look around. Oh, there's old brother. There's a, yeah. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? You don't know anybody and nobody knows you. They don't know how you live. You don't know how they live. The extent of your relationship is in the glad handing on the steps of the church or in the foyer. And that's about it for most folks. Fellowship. Most folks don't want anybody to know how they truly live. You know why? Read John 3, 16, but this time go a little bit further, all the way down to verse 21. You know why they don't like the light? Because their deeds are evil. They don't want to see that. Jug- they don't want you to see that jug of whiskey or that wine in the refrigerator, beer all over the place. They don't want you to see that. They don't want to hear you. They don't want you to hear them cussing and how they really live. They just want you to see them dressed up on Sunday. Hey, brother, how you doing? (laughs) Fellowship has been, we've been, oh, this has been stolen. Let me tell you something. The beauty of house church where people come together in a house and fellowship. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Before we ever start, look, it's as important as the word, in my opinion, because we watch people, they just start fellowshipping. They're so hungry to interact. I ain't doing nothing when that's happened. Just sit there. We said, well, it's 1030. We ought to start. I don't care. Well, it's 11 o'clock. I don't care. We'll get there sooner or later. We got all day. I ain't no rush. Why are we rushing through that? Fellowship. Worship. God wants to release the creativity. And I, and I, and I'm telling you, if we'll get to this in first Chronicles 29, keep this forever in the imaginations of the thoughts of your people's hearts. When you and I begin to learn to break out of the, break off of our traditional shackles, break out of the traditional molds and begin to literally let the creativity of God begin to govern. Certainly we're governed by word. That's the objective truth, but the subjective part of it. Now turn with me to John four and let's look at that. John fourth chapter. Y'all most of y'all know the, this passage. Uh, He's with the Samaritan woman at the well. She said, 
He said, give me a drink. And she said, you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jesus said, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask and I'd give you some living water. She said, you don't have nothing to draw with. The well's deep. What you going to do? You greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Who are you? What do you think? He said, she said, I, but I know when Messiah comes, he's going to do some great things. Jesus said, well, I'm him. He said, go call your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you got now, you're just shacking up with. Wow. That's prophesying, folks. That is some really good stuff. Now, he, 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 he read her mail. It's called a word of knowledge. He began to literally tell her her life. And he, look what she does. I, I, I absolutely love this. I've been in this situation so many times when I'm sharing my faith with others. <clears throat> look ahead and he said um, in verse, let's just read verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now has is not your husband, and that you said true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I love this. He just said, lady, you're in sin. Okay. Oh, you're a prophet. I love that. When you call out sin immediately, we want to turn the conversation to a religious discussion. Watch carefully. Watch how she goes. She said, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she basically said, where you go to church? <laughs> See, I go to Samaritan church. We, we, we go to church here. It's a little different from y'all's deal. I, you say Jerusalem's where y'all are to worship? Where you go to church? See, that's what happens. You start sharing faith and people get hyper-religious. They want to run back to their tradition. <clears throat> Dude ain't been to church in a hundred years. And literally, uh, yeah, I'm Catholic. Really? Do they teach you to cuss like that at Catholic school? Well, I'm a Baptist. Really? Did you start drinking it? Do they have real wine in the, Catholic, in the Baptist communion now? You drunkard? Huh? What, what's the deal here? Well, I'm a Baptist. So people run to their denomination. Okay. He said, look, our fathers worship this mountain. You say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father. You worship, you know not what. Now you try this in your witnessing time. Tell the person that she's talking to that you don't know who you worship. Because it's a valid thing to say. Who do you worship? Well, I go to Baptist church. I, that ain't what I asked you. I said, who do you worship? Well, I'm a Catholic. Who do you worship? I mean, the Catholics got all kinds of things you can turn around and play to, pray to. Mary? Saint somebody? Make one up. They got a saint for everything. Dig him up and pray to him. Look. We, you, you worship, you know not what. We worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour comes and now is. Listen to that. The hour comes and now is this 2,000 years ago when the true worshipers, he said true worshipers because there is a false worshiper. The true worship shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. There, God is literally looking for those who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Truth is objective. We have the word of God. This is the truth of God. Jesus is, I am the truth. And so the truth is a living entity called Jesus Christ. But the word of God is embodied. Jesus is the word, the entire word. He's not just the old, uh, the new test. He's the old too. In the beginning was the word. The word is God. The whole thing is the word of God. So don't tell me, well, I, Paul said that. I Well, you either believe it's the word of God. I don't care who the author is. It's God's word. I believe it's authority of God speaking. That's the word of God, the living word. Now, you worship the word of God is objective and it forms our thought and literally keeps us on the safe ground. So this is truth. This is 
biblical. This is how things work. This is how God does things. And the spirit could be somewhat subjective because it's subject to interpretation. But the word of God holds us in keeping. So when the spirit of God is on the truth of God, then the creativity comes to where the subjective is not just held hostage to objective. You ever heard a true theologian preach? Uh, you know what you need to do is bring an automatic face slapper because he's going to bore you to death. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We're going to read the whole book. And we're going to read that when you have a sore break out on your body, you're to take it to the priest and you're to look at that sore. If it's white around the edges, you need to look and see if it's got a hair in it. And if it's got a hair, dear God, help me. You think that's not there. Go read. It goes on. And some people get so excited about that. It's like, whoo, okay. It's, it's not edifying. And so when you think of this kind of thing, and most theologians can have the gift of boredom and can do this to just about anybody. And you can get so heady. There's absolutely you've you've literally quenched the Holy Spirit. And anything that might have had life in it is gone. Wow, what a boredom. There's nothing worse than listening to an unanointed preaching. I mean, it can't get any worse. And a, and a squandering of time. So God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> Chapter three. Bear with me while I teach this new Bible how to work. All right. In verse one, it says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. <clears throat> for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, look at that carefully. To me, this is an expounding on spirit and truth worship. He says, we are the concision. We're, we're just, we're saved. Uh, we're not the circumcision. We're the concision who have literally been, uh, we work, we have no confidence in the flesh. We're not caring about circumcision and other religious ordinances. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter is Paul reading and writing off his pedigree, his religious pedigree. I am a Jew of Jews. I'm an Israelite of the Israelites. Man, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he goes on to list his pedigree and he goes through all these things. Man, raised up at the feet of Gamaliel. I tell you, I was a taught boy. And, and at the end of it, he said, and all these things I count as dung. And if you don't know what dung is, yeah, It stinks. And so all your religious pedigree, all your religious upbringings, all that trapping of flesh, of buildings and, and, and monuments and statues, and oh, we count them but dumb. We have no confidence in the flesh. And when you worship in the spirit, look, 17 years ago, I closed down three very successful traditional churches, closed them down and said, we're going back to house church. Why? Because I got to the point where I said, this ain't God. And they were churches. I started, I repented to everybody that was in our church. I said, I'm sorry that I did this to you. I'm sorry. I led you this way. Please forgive me. Never going there again. I repent. I'm going back to the way it was. I'm going back to the beginning, my first love. And we opened the book in the house. I love when people say, Oh, y'all are in the house church? You know, our church started in a house. Yeah, well, then you backslid. That ain't backsliding. We got 500 members. We got a thousand. We have, we have 5,000 members now. I said you backslid. You became a daughter of the harlot. So you adopted her structure, her whole money system, and her easy believism theology. So you can get more of that money. And more of that prestige, it's done. Been there, done that. Hate what it becomes and what it makes me, preacher, flee from that. 17 years ago, I got out of that stuff. Guess what? 
Ain't missed a beat. I'm just as saved as ever, on fire as ever. Don't give buildings no money, none, zero, nada. I got no programs, zero, none, nada. 17 years. Happy, happy, happy. I feel sorry for you, preacher, that you got to maintain all that stuff, especially while they're all running out the door right now. Couldn't care less. Boy, hope you don't get another COVID outbreak or you toast. We have, we worship God in the spirit. We have, we don't need religious trappings. Folks, I'm telling you it's time to get out of the mold of the cookie cutter of tradition. Break the stranglehold. I believe it's the spirit of bondage to fear. We're afraid to move from the tradition. Well, my mama was in there. Well, my papa was in there. Well, I don't care. I don't care. It's time for you to break out. And if you want to get delivered and keep your deliverance, if you want to have victory and be an overcomer, it's time to let the creator begin to recreate inside of you. That's what he said. We're recreated in Christ Jesus unto a good work. You see, the, 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 the real proper doctrine is repentance from dead works. And so as I repent from dead works, I come into this new living relationship with Jesus Christ. And now I am in a, I am, I am ordained to walk in a good work. And let me tell you, folks, that good work means the goodness of our creator is moving inside of us and we get creative. We get creative in prayer. We get creative in, 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 in Bible study. We get creative in uh, fellowship. We get created in worship. We get created in our witness. We'll think up ways. How can I tell others about Jesus? And we'll sit and think about it till something drops into the spirit. We chew on that could till it comes into, into, and all of a sudden an explosion of revelation. And when it does, somebody will share their faith in a, in a way that's so powerful. Folk will know it's anointed. John Wesley was run out of church after church after. If you would see his resume of how many churches he was run out of. I truly believe John Wesley was a modern apostle and and, and did an apostolic work like few others have ever done. And I want to tell you that Wesley was run out of place after place after place till one day they stood in the middle of the field. Charles began to sing and people began to come. Can you imagine? Huh? 10,000 people standing in a field said, why is that dude singing? And when he had got them well sung up, John stepped up and started talking. See, when anointed men start talking, things start happening. I want to tell you something forever that has happened. When Anointed men who are not orthodox, who walk outside of the orthodoxical norms. The orthodoxy fears them. They are scared to death of them. I just heard a testimony from a person. Uh, one of the mega churches went cell groups and this cell group leader had grown their cell group to this huge bunch. I mean, people were coming from everywhere to go to the cell group. Well, the senior mega man called him in and said, this cannot happen. You're getting too big. You're too powerful. See, those guys get scared that they can't control the spirit. Let me, let me rephrase that. They can't control the money. Better statement. And those nicest, the nicest mega church, they'll, they'll talk to you. Hey brother, how are you doing? They talk like they're Gabriel smooth. But when you get behind the, in the back room where I've been with them, you can see the control freak oozing out of them. They will literally tell you, you'll go to hell, you, you rebel if you leave my church. If you break ranks, if you, you're not, you're a Jezebel because you're not submissive to my authority. Folks, I'm telling you, today's the day. That somebody ought to get creative and praise him, worship him, lift him up, pray, pray outside the box, think outside the box. Literally, let the word govern you, but let the Holy Ghost do whatever he wants to do. 
Somebody needs to get in the river where you can't touch bottom and the spirit does whatever he wants. Glory be to God. You want to keep your deliverance? Let the creator make you creative and live. Be free. Prayer, study, fellowship, worship, witness. Five Christian disciplines. And let the imagination keep this forever in the imaginations of the thoughts of our hearts. Make your people a creative people who only create things that will bring you glory. God bless. Have a great week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.